You're listening to The B-Side, a podcast of Blessed Hope Community Church. Hey, this is Malia, your host as usual, and I'm joined today with Pastor Matt. Hello. Um, And it's just the two of us today uh, via Zoom. Schedules are kind of crazy, but... I think it'll be fine. How are how are things going? It will be. And I just, I want to say that, Malia, we're the best ones anyway. And so <laughs> the fact that it's just the two of us is not something that you should be concerned about. <laughs> uh, going, I love it. Okay. We're, we're running a little bit crazy around here, uh, scrambling, <laughs> just doing a lot of things. I know some people have assumed that this is a slowed down time uh for those of us that work in the church um but man they don't know what they don't know and I, it's okay that they don't know but but we right. are running ragged um, yeah trying to get different things done and to operate differently and um, yeah and so, it's so funny because um i don't know if i've mentioned mentioned it before on podcast but i'm part of these different church communication groups um, like on Facebook and other platforms. And there are so many memes flying around about like, you know, if you would have told me three months ago that we would not be meeting in the building, we will have canceled all of our activities and events, but yet I'm twice as busy <laughs> as I was before. I would have never believed you. <laughs> right. And that would have and been so it's, a legitimate yeah. thought. Um, you yeah, know, it, is, to- it is crazy. I feel like you know, as far as my role at the church goes, things have kind of like, you know, it just takes a little while to fall into a pattern, I think, into a new rhythm of things. I've had to move like my day off around and stuff. Um, But I kind of feel like I'm at least kind of into a rhythm now. It is more work this way, I will say, but, um, but you know, you're you're just adjust and (laughs) routine goes a long way, I think, in any number of, of formats. And so the more you can be in a routine, then the more you can navigate all of the weird things that happen. And it, like you, we got thrown out of the routine so early on in this that, yeah. it, I mean, even without a routine, the same amount of work feels overwhelming because you're just out of rhythm. And then when you yeah. throw more work on, it's been crazy. So it is nice that we've gotten into a little bit of rhythm. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, normal is gone. Right, like we we won't be getting back to normal necessarily, um, but I do look forward to to days when um, kind of rhythms start to return to normal. Uh, yeah. So agreed. Uh, yeah, that'll that'll be nice, and I actually wouldn't mind it if every now and then I could get my kids out of my house, um, <laughs> you know, just to go do something. Yeah. But, yeah. I know. Otherwise, we've been we've been you know sheltering in place pretty. I mean, pretty seriously this in April. I've kind of you know pulled back the reins a little bit on Anil because he's been like going crazy, not seeing like Travis and yeah. Well, and it's uh, been you know what here's friends. here's the yeah. thing. I've enjoyed seeing Anil around more. 
I, you know, we kind of miss that kid when he's not around. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> so gracious of you to say. We had more food in the freezer uh, <laughs> yeah, when he was gone. Sure. I know. I feel like I owe you guys like child support sometimes. No, no, you're all good. You're all good. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So we are um, going to be diving deeper into Revelation chapter four and five today. Uh, yeah, which you so, preached over on Sunday. So if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, I encourage you to, to go out and, and check that out. I, I got a lot of great feedback from people. So Good, good. Well, I've, I've been enjoying this series. Um, it's different because, you know, Revelation, you get this, a, a, um, you know, apocalyptic literature, this, this future-looking things that are all about prophecy. And you can have really strong smart Christians from a lot of different ways that will interpret these things differently. Um, and so it's always interesting to, to study it because there's so many different viewpoints coming at us. Um, and then for David and I to decipher it and try to teach it, um, that gets, that gets daunting. Yeah. Um, but, um, it has been a lot of fun to do. And, um, so far, so good, I, I think, because we've been biting off bite-sized chunks. I'm a little bit worried about next Sunday because it incorporates like 13 chapters of Scripture <laughs> and um, probably about six, seven years. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot, um, but by design. So you better I mean, start reading now. <laughs> yeah, we, we did that on purpose, uh, but we're going to, yeah, we're going to be looking at chapters basically six through 19. Um, next week and, and all of that, but, but yeah. um, it'll be good. But chapters four and five are a lot of fun because, you know, David did a great job talking about, you know, uh, John's picture of Jesus, like what he saw, and then um, really digging into the letters uh, that the church has received and, and what's the encouragement there and, and what are the things that we should be encouraged about and what are, what's the, the warnings there and the things that we should be careful about and take to heart. Um, but the reason that I really get excited, because in chapter four and five, the scene shifts, right? So, so John is, is when he's having this revelation at the beginning, um, he's having a vision of Jesus. You know, that's what he says way back in Revelation one and nine. It's I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom. I was exiled. Um, and, um, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in spirit. Suddenly, um, I heard the loud voice, bless you. And so, so John starts this by saying, Hey, I, I had this vision of Jesus, right? But when we get to chapter four, things shift. And John says he was actually called up into heaven, right? Like he sees the door in, in four, you know, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. That's Jesus's voice saying, uh, come up here, and I'm going to show you what will happen after this. And so um, starting in verse 4, John's actually brought in spirit, but it's real. He's brought to heaven um, to see what's going to happen in the future. And so um, it's like he's transported to a different plane of existence and to a different time. Uh, which a is little, interesting. A little sci-fi going on. Kind of. Kind <laughs> of. It, it is. It's weird for us. This is one of the reasons why some people will automatically 
discount that there's anything literal in Revelation. And they sure. will say that, that Revelation shouldn't be seen as a literal thing, but it should be seen as this figurative um, uh, vision that John has, and he's trying to explain it to us. And so it's all about how the church has to be careful and this and that, you know, because they, they struggle with this idea that, no, no, this is a literal thing that is happening to John. He is pulled right. and, and, and he is looking and, and they really struggle with that. But this is, this is the reality that John's experiencing. It's very real for him. He are, is, there, are there both literal and figurative, like, things in Revelation? Is, well, is everything literal? You know, so, so you're asking a question that, uh, that theologians have debated and argued about, right, for, <laughs> for a long, long time. So I'll tell you what I think. I think that when we read the book of Revelation, that we're reading a literal book. Mm -hmm. However, I do think there are some things in the book that are literally there. John is literally seeing them, but he doesn't have the language to describe for us. And so he's figuratively, metaphorically mm. trying to show us what he's literally seeing because the words just don't exist for him. Like, like for sure. example, in four, when he looks at John, or I'm sorry, no, he is John. When he looks at God sitting <laughs> on the throne, Right, he says uh, it's very clearly metaphorical um, because he, he uses the word like and as. Right, he says in verse three, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the sure. glow of yep. an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Right, so so that doesn't mean that God is made up of jasper and carnelian. Right. I don't even know what carnelian is. I had to um, Google it. It's a brownish red stone. Right. I Googled it too. <laughs> okay, but like I had never in my life heard of that except for yeah. here in, in Revelation. But so, so John isn't saying, oh, I know what God's like. God's like a gemstone. Um, but what he's saying is like, this is like, he is so brilliant and, and, and so full of light. And, and, and this is the best way I can use my own language to describe what I'm seeing. So in that instance, it is... It is figurative, but it's describing sure. okay, what he good. literally sees. So I think I that's think, helpful. Yeah. Well, and I, I think people really will want to grasp that as we get into these, um, the four horsemen, right? Mm -hmm. And we get into the plagues. Um, and so every time, and we're going to get into this next time, as Christ breaks a seal, right? What does that mean? Um, and, and when he sees these things and, and, and they blow the trumpets and they pour the bowls and, and he tries to describe these things that he sees, things that would have made no sense to him. For example, he talks about, you know, um, we're kind of jumping ahead, but, but in the chapters for next week, he talks about the two witnesses and, and uh, that, that after three and a half years, they're finally, the, the Antichrist is finally able to murder them. Mm -hmm. um, and that, their corpses lay in the street for three days. So super it, warm, fuzzy stuff. Oh yeah. And that everybody in the world at the same time is looking at them. You know, it's like, well, how, like, like, okay, can that awesome. really be, can that really be literal that everybody alive is looking at these two dead um, prophets in Israel? And we're like, for John, how would that have even possibly worked? But now we think about live stream and, and um, 
you know, 24 yeah. hour news and everybody's got a smartphone in their hand or a tablet. And it's like, well, it's pretty easy for us now to see how something like that could come to be. But John doesn't have language for that. He right. just knows what he sees, even if he can't describe it perfectly. And so, huh. yeah, yeah, literal with, with uh, John doing the best he can to tell us about it. But, um, and that's where it is when he sees Jesus on the, th or when he sees um, God on the throne. Um, God is spirit. He doesn't have this physical form like we do. And yet, yet John sees him and he's trying the best he can to describe him. And then he sees these, um, these four living beings and he's trying to describe the living beings, you know, the, uh, the, the kind of weird looking animals with human face and a cow face and a lion face and an eagle face and their wings. And they're covered with eyes inside and out the wings and all over their bodies. And, you know, I mean, it's fair to ask what in the world are those things about? And I, my answer is, man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. God creates them. They have a purpose. They sing praise and worship to the God of the universe. They give him glory over and over and over again. Um, but, you know, why do they look like that? Because that's how God made them look. Add it to the list of questions we're going to ask. Um, I don't know where that is on your list. How long is your list? Of questions. It's that very long. Yeah. Very long. It involves a lot of people. <laughs> people like that you know now? No, about like people in the Bible that I oh, just okay. have so many questions for. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, my list is pretty long too. I have a feeling that when I get to heaven, I won't care about most of it. Probably not. Most yeah. of it will stop being important, but you know, it's a good size list, but this is one of them. Why? Why create the living beings like that? Um, yeah. You know, and is that, is that what they look like? Or again, is this the best way that John can describe them to us because he doesn't have the language? Is there something there? And so I think we just have yeah. to, to wrestle with that a little bit. Um, but, but the whole point of chapter four that I love is that as, as John is, is transported to heaven, the thing that he sees first and foremost is God in charge, in control, being worshiped as creator of everything. In fact, that's even what they say at the end of four, um, when the, the elders and the living beings are worshiping, giving their mm -hmm. crowns to God. It says, you're worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. And they exist because you created what you pleased. And so the whole crux of chapter four is just saying like, like, I'm seeing God. He's on his throne. He created everything and everything exists because he please, he's pleased that it exists. He, he allows it to be. And John just yeah. starts this vision of what's going to happen with that picture. Right. And that, that theme that you said on Sunday, that conquering King, yes. I think is so apparent, like just a, a quick look through a four and five, the word mm -hmm. throne is used like, 20 times or almost 20 times like yeah. it's just so repetitive yeah i i think um you know there is this this thing and i think i said this in the sermon you know i don't know my notes were like twice as long as my actual sermon so i never know what i say or don't um, <laughs> but but I, I i think that that there's some real value in us being able to say in this you know, and there would have been some real comfort for John in the middle of just these awful circumstances to be able to say, look, 
God is on the throne. You know, and, and I know how, how superficial that can sound. And honestly, it sounds superficial because superficial people usually say it. And that, I, that sounds harsh. Uh, I guess I should clarify. I say it. And, and I'm superficial at times. Like, like, like I mean, I, I don't mean to be. I don't set out to be. But, but I say it in a way that's trite or superficial. And I mean it to be comforting, but it's not. And, and so, I, you know, I use it like a, a crutch almost. And so people, especially people that aren't Christians, you know, these ideas that, oh, well, God's on the throne. They're like, yeah, just stop it. I don't want to hear that. That doesn't do me any good. Um, right. But if, if we saw what John saw, we would understand, yeah, that matters. But I think that the catch is, you know, for us to say when things get tough, hey, God's on the throne and have it mean something to people, we have to live the rest of our lives acting like it's true. Um, and I've noticed that myself included and other people, when we say things like, oh, God works all things together for good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes, or, oh, you know what, God's still on the throne. We say those things, and then we act like they're not true. We get anxious, we get nervous, we get worried, and, um, and, and those things don't, uh, they don't mean anything to people. But in yeah. this instance, yeah, he is absolutely on the throne, and, and then... Um, as part of that, you see that he gives all of this power and authority. He's already done this, but but now at this point, he's he's symbolically he's giving this power and this authority to Jesus, and that's where I think verses four or chapters four and five are so good that, that they um, they come together because John his focus is just fluid. Right, the first thing he notices, and how can he not, is God sitting on the throne. And all of the, the pomp and circumstance that goes with worshiping God on the throne and that's happening. And then he sees, hey, wait, what's that in God's hand, right? Oh, he's holding a scroll. You know, I wonder what that mm -hmm. scroll's about. And so then he goes into the dialogue about the scroll. And, and the scroll has such value because it's the minute that Jesus takes the scroll from God that, that the world has been groaning for, right? It's... It's that moment when he takes the scroll that there is this, uh, okay, now it starts. All of, the, all of the finality of it, everything that we've been, the world has been groaning for, you know, uh, sin has been having its way, but now it, that will end and, and Jesus will, will conquer and will um, deal with it harshly once and for all. And, and all of this is, is kind of culminated in this moment where Jesus takes the scroll and by taking it and opening it, he ushers in everything that happens next. And, and then so, cue music. The whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking that song, Is He Worthy? That Andrew Peterson song just will I not stop. Can I be honest? I know with you, you don't like it. I don't like that song. It's grown on me. I didn't at first, but it's yeah. really grown on me a lot. Just like oh, the blessing. That one's taken a while to grow on me too. The blessing? Yeah. Which one's that? Sing it for us. It's, it's Carrie Job and I don't remember who else. Ah, uh, no, I'm not. Come on, singing. just give us a little bit. Not good. Nope, we're good. Nope. All right, fine. <laughs> uh, but maybe I need to listen to it more because that's never, it's like, is he worthy? Yes, move on. He's worthy. We're done. 
So has so question from from people I would imagine. So has he taken the scroll? No. Is this a future thing or is yeah. it okay? This is so so this is what we have to see is that is that when John is called into heaven um in in chapter 4 the beginning of it um he's very clearly told come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Okay. And so after none of this, this is in the future. In in fact so yeah. In, in Matthew 24, when Jesus says, look, nobody knows the day or the time except for the Father, right? right? This is the time he doesn't know about, right? When, when he will be given permission by the Father, when he will be given ownership of the world so that he can conquer it, um, not just through his suffering, death, and resurrection, but now as a conquering king when can he finally and definitively start to deal with evil and sin? Mm -hmm. And so this is that future moment that he's waiting for. Jesus doesn't know when this will happen. Um, this is a, a time of God's own choosing that he has held to himself. And then someday he will call the lamb and he will give him the scroll. John was able to witness it in the future. So, um, yeah, this is, this is future. And, and, and it's going to happen, and um, probably, I'm going to say probably, because again, theologically, there's so many different points of view here. I'm going to say that probably this happens just after the rapture, um, uh, which, which I think is symbolic in the 24 elders sitting around um, the throne, um, that, you know, that completeness in Jew and Gentile together. Uh, did David did David talk about the 24 elders? No, I did. Did you? I did. At least I meant okay. to. Again, my notes were twice as long as my sermon. But yeah, when it comes to the 24 elders, there's there's we see them. Daniel sees the thrones in place, but with nobody sitting on them. Like in his vision okay. of God, he sees so do the we thrones. know who they are? We don't know who they are. We know they're humans. Hmm. Right? We don't know who the 24 elders are. We know they're humans. Our, our, our assumption is um, that they are victors. You know, if you go back to, uh, to um, like Revelation. Like from the Hunger Games? Not from the Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> the odds are ever, no. If you go back to Revelation 2, uh, when David was preaching, Jesus says to a church, he says, look, for those of you that endure persecution even to death, I will give you the victor's crowns. I will give mm -hmm. you the crown of life. And now we see these 24 elders seated around the throne of God wearing the crown. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so you get the picture that this is, this is about the, the fullness and the completeness of the church. There were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, you know, so, so there's this, this at least mm -hmm. thought evangelically in those circles that that is, this is a picture of the completeness, you know, uh, of hmm. the fullness of Jew and Gentile and, and the church come together. But, but we don't know who's sitting on the throne. Add it to the list of questions. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, did you guys talk about the seven spirits of God? Yeah. Did you listen to the sermon? I mean, you know. I thought we did, but apparently I missed these things. <laughs> Here's the well, deal. I usually we listen to them twice, so... <laughs> We covered a lot of text. Um, and so okay. the, the seven- Did folds, you go over it or did David go over it? I did, because it's part of four and five. Um, I think David okay. mentioned the seven lampstands. Well, doesn't it say it earlier too? Uh, it talks about the seven lampstands. 
Um, okay. When when he is when when John sees Jesus walking, um, in chapter yeah, there's one. There's only one golden lampstand in the tabernacle, right? Right. Okay. But those the the lampstands were were kind of the the churches. Um, right. But but what we see here, the sevenfold spirit of God, you know, the way we would understand that is that's the ever present Holy Spirit of God, like this perfection, the Holy Spirit that is, you know, there ministering and 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 present with God. Uh, you know, you're mentioned in verse four and again in verse five, you get that idea. Uh, or chapter four and chapter five. Uh, I had I had looked it up and it said that it was just because it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because you're yep. like, well, there's one spirit, right? Yeah. Um, but it said the different ways that God expresses himself. Like there's a passage in scripture, and I can't remember what it um, took me to, but it said the different, the different spirits of God. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't remember where that's at now off the top of my head. Um, but that helped explain it to sure. me in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, we very clearly get this picture of of divinity for God, for for the Holy Spirit, and for Jesus, and all of this, right? God seated on the throne. You know, we see the sevenfold Spirit of God surrounding the throne, um, and and then in Jesus, we see this Lamb who was slain, but looks as alive and 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 takes the scroll, what's His, and then the angels worship Him, um, and so we mm -hmm. see. You know all of these parts of God, um, you know this uh, that make up the Trinity, um, being worshipped as divine, uh, which which is critically important for us. But what you have to appreciate about the way that John describes Jesus in five is is you know he sees him, he looks like a lamb that was slain, but yet at the same time he sees him in this in this divinity. Um, verse six, right? I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders, the seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit again, um, that's sent out to every part of the earth. And, and triumphantly, he steps forward and takes the scroll. And so it's this picture of um, a cross between what David described in Revelation 1 which is the way that John sees the conquering King Jesus and what, what, what uh, John sees in revelation five, which is the slaughtered lamb, Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, again, I don't know that we would say this is literal. I don't think, um, I don't think Jesus is actually is looking like a lamb. Right. right, but I think what John's seeing literally is the crucified Christ, and he's saying, "I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but's now standing alive." You know, that's his way mm -hmm. of describing. I know who Jesus was. I know what he accomplished, but now he's alive, and he's and he's taking the scroll, and um, and he alone is worthy to take the scroll, and everybody sings praises to him that he's worthy to take the scroll, and uh, and then of course. We get into chapter six next week, and, and he starts to break the seals. And as he breaks the seals, what he's doing is he's unrolling the scroll. So he breaks a seal and unrolls a little bit and breaks another seal. And as he breaks those six seals, all of these things are going to happen in the world, and it's going to be just plain awful for anybody that lives here. Um, you know, we think COVID-19 is bad. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> 
We're, we're talking about pestilence and disease and war and famine and you're earthquakes. You're not going to just stay home and binge watch Netflix? No, <laughs> nope. I don't think that you're going to get to stay home and binge watch Netflix. And uh, it's going to get bad. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think what's interesting about that is, is that as it gets bad, we might wonder why is God being so harsh? You know, why is God bringing such judgment on the world? And, and I think which is why it's so critically important that God gives us a glimpse of chapter five. Mm -hmm. That before we even talk about King Jesus ushering in these judgments to deal with sin, evil, tragedy, awfulness once and for all, to banish Satan, before mm -hmm. we get to those things that are going to be bad and horrific, we see a picture of Jesus, the lamb that was slaughtered for the sins of the world and has overcome the sin of the world by being resurrected. We see a picture of Jesus coming in meekness, going through pain and suffering, taking all of the sin of the world onto himself and then conquering it. So we see this picture of that Jesus, right? That, that suffering servant who has gone through more than anyone will ever be able to understand. And it's him that is going to usher in these things. And so it's not an impersonal God. Sure. It's about to unleash well, this. It's, it's a, it's, it's our lamb that was slain for our sin that is conquered. And isn't this, this time period that is, is going to be so bad. Isn't that still a time when people can choose God? You, yeah, I mean, we're going to get a picture of, of um, in chapter 7, um, God is specifically going to show John about how he has sealed um, and mm -hmm. saved 144,000 individuals um, that will come to know him. And that's not the only people that will come to faith during this time. But right. it says he specifically right. sealed 144,000 individuals from among Israel. Right. So these are Jews, uh, because this is mm -hmm. going to be a time that God will gather the Jews to himself like he is, has been longing to do. Um, and like we read about in that great and terrible day of the Lord all through the Old Testament, this is the moment where God will be bringing them to himself. So he tells us he sealed 12,000 from each tribe so that they can be witnesses for him. Right. And part of that will be Jew and Gentile alike coming to faith during this time. Uh, yeah. What, what's actually hard for me to figure out is how, because this is here, right? Because everyone has access to this truth, uh, how people won't know <laughs> what's going to happen. Like, like the rapture will happen, and and these these tragedies and plagues will start to happen. How are people going to be sitting around going, "Well, I don't know what's going on." You would think that it would just take like somebody to accidentally stumble across Revelation and say, hey, look, I know the answer. I know what's happening. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, well, I, I you think about the Egyptians in Exodus, though, you know, that it's and, you know, they still who knows if any of them came to faith during that period of time. Um, uh, I do. Some of them did. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, we read that. Sure that some of them had to. We read that, that, that many Egyptians actually not. went with. Yeah. Many Egyptians yeah. actually left Egypt with Israel because they were like, yep. man, I need to be on your God's side. Um, <laughs> so they, yeah. they, they so you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I do. I do. And you know what? Here's the thing that we have to understand. Satan is defeated, but he is crafty. 
Mm-hmm. And if he can pull wool over someone's eyes or deceive them or get them to believe a half truth or any number of things, then it's going to cause um, it's sure. going to cause this mass confusion in people's hearts and minds. Plus, um, as we keep reading in Revelation, we're going to read about the false prophet and the false Messiah, the Antichrist, mm-hmm. and right. and this this um, evil Trinity that Satan makes up to try to combat the holy trinity of God, and they will lead many astray. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even people that know, oh, there's something about what's happening in the world that's biblical, um, they're going to, if they're not careful, be led astray um, Mm -hmm. by the one who claims to be the Messiah, even though he's really the Antichrist. Which is why it's so important we know our Bibles yes. so that we can distinguish, you know, true teaching from false teaching. Um, okay, so let's get wrapped up here. Um, yeah. That's good. Anything else you wanted to address at all from these two chapters? Are you good? Um, no, nothing from these two chapters. I just would say that, that again, I, I, I want to reiterate that whatever our perspective is on understanding Revelation, it is... Um, we're reading something that really happened to John. He really experienced and mm-hmm. saw these things. Um, he was literally um, in the spirit called to heaven and witnessed these things. They're literal. He is doing the best he can to describe them to us with his, the language that he gets. Um, things he's never seen before and mm-hmm. can't possibly fathom even really what he's looking at. He's trying to describe to us. Um, but um, mm-hmm. that doesn't make it less real. Okay. And then that's really helpful. That helps me frame things a little bit better too. So I'm sure it'll be helpful for other people. Uh, real quick, what, um, since we're going to be covering such a huge chunk of scripture, yeah. uh, this coming Sunday, what are some of the highlights that we can look forward to? Oh, I, well, I think we're going to deal with the timeline. Okay. Um, as much as anything else, we're going to look at the timeline and we're going to look at what happens at each stage. We're just not going to dig so deep into all of that it could mean and be okay um, but we're so gonna we can do a happens. little bigger deeping in our podcast yeah. we're gonna know okay. what happens when each seal is broken okay. and what happens with each trumpet blast and we're gonna meet our main characters and um actually where we're gonna linger a lot is revelation 12 the where there's this this huge battle in heaven uh, okay. yes we'll talk about the prostitute <laughs> Drunk on the blood of the saints and all of those things. Yes. And, um, I mean, you know. Yeah, but but the reason that we're going to cover so much of that is because uh, the next week we are really going to hone in on this thing called the Great White Throne Judgment, because that's something that everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, needs to understand well. And so I don't want to shortchange that at all. So we're going to go through the time room timeline pretty quickly, and then we are going to we are going to really um, drill down hard on, on the great white throne judgment that happens in Revelation 20. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. All I'm right. Fun anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting stuff. And from what I've heard from people, it's been, it's been a fun, interesting ride for them too. So. <laughs> good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you.